Good afternoon, I'm Al Cresta. Last month, uh, Pope Francis stirred up a little bit of controversy when he said that he hoped that uh, hell was empty. Uh, he said this is personal opinion, uh, uh, really not a dogma. Uh, but it's, it's a theme which we come across quite a bit. Uh, more and more uh, Catholics seem to accept the idea that all would be saved, and I'm not. I'm not saying that's what Pope Francis is saying, but uh, you know the idea of an empty hell certainly comes close to thinking that all will be saved. The Catholic Church has very clear teaching on this over the centuries. The biblical material uh, is clear, although of course there's always challenges to exegete passages uh, clearly and in their original context. But I wanted to take some time to go over this idea of hope for an empty hell, or dare we hope that all would be saved, uh, using the language of the theologian uh, Hans Urs von Balthasar, and to help us sort through the different aspects of this debate, we've asked Dr. Daniel Lindman to join us. He's assistant professor of theology at Ave Maria University, and it's a great pleasure to have you with us today, Dr. Lindman. Thank you. Thank you so much. I'm so glad to be here. Well, let's let's talk. Let's go to the Holy Father first and his, you know, casual remark that he made. How did you hear it? What did you think of it? Well, I my sense is I I kind of know I think what he's wanting to express. I because I've heard this kind of thought before, yeah. and um, I would even like to say I've, I've I've felt something. You know, when you Con- consider or contemplate sort of the terrors of hell. Mm-hmm. Um, it's just your your fellow, your kind of brotherhood with your fellow man. Yeah. Uh, you should you should find that repugnant, and right. of course not desire that for any any of your fellow men. And so there should be this initial kind of fervent hope that oh, you know, please God that no one no one endures such a thing. Right. Yeah, no, I, I I understand that, and um, and I don't think you know anybody who hasn't uh, felt the horror of hell um, just simply hasn't thought about it. <laughs> hasn't thought about it. That's right. <laughs> um, he made clear he wasn't pronouncing a dogma. He, he's giving voice to a personal opinion. Um, right now in. American Catholicism, there's kind of a lax attitude towards questions of salvation. And there are many who, I think, you know, as they casually think about this, they like to believe that all will be saved. Now, once once we get to that, we're dealing with a real challenge to Catholic teaching, right? I think, I think so. I think that that's, that's where you kind of, you, you take a, a step too far mm-hmm. um, in, in that regard, um, as, as you as you have already alluded to, you know the the Church has defined emphatically at the Fourth Lateran Council that there is a hell and um, that it's eternal. Uh, that was that's really taking up again a teaching that was had against uh, sort of the errors of uh, origin, uh, and that was defined by the Council of Constantinople back in the five hundreds. So. Uh, the teaching about an eternal hell, where the punishments are eternal, that's just emphatic. Um, 
Now, it is also important that the church is not defined that anyone is in hell. Mm-hmm. So if we're just thinking of the ma- what, what has been magisterial, the church is defined. Aside from uh, demons, and demons are, are persons too, so we can't, <laughs> we can't forget that. <laughs> um, and so it's so in that sense, when you're talking about empty hell, well, we know that at least there are some, uh, you know, uh, persons uh, inhabiting hell uh, that are suffering those punishments. Uh, and that's an important uh, teaching to keep in mind, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, I think there's a lot of things to reflect on here, but, but to the point you're asking about in particular, about whether we can say... You know that, that hell is not, uh, is, is, and that there's no no human persons there. Uh, you 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 have to be very careful. Um, now, you've made reference to, to Balthazar's book. You know, dare we hope yeah. that all men be saved? Mm-hmm. Um, what's interesting the the English title is almost more provocative than the German. You know, the German <laughs> okay. is was uh, was dürfen wir Hoffnung, which is, which really is when what what may we hope and it's it's a little more speculative and interesting I, there might be some various ways into interpreting balthazar and I've, I've read a number of things but i i think in, in one way if you see it as kind of balthazar focusing on sort of the the extremes of what uh hope can look towards in a certain way and sort of especially in light of god's mercy uh that's i think that's kind of the direction that Balthazar was going, um, but even there, it's it's notable that in his book he doesn't take up one of the most explicit texts uh, in Scripture on this, and that's uh, from the letter of Saint Jude. Um, and there, in Jude, uh, verse six, it says, "And the angels did not that did not keep their own position, but left their proper dwelling, have been kept by him in eternal chains." In the deepest darkness until the judgment of the great day, just as Sodom and Gomorrah and the surrounding cities, which likewise acted immorally and indulged in unnatural lust, serve as an example by undergoing a punishment of eternal fire. Wow. Yeah. And that's that's a terrifying verse in many ways, but uh, verses. But it's it again maybe there's a creative way to interpret that, but it seems to me. A kind of emphatic reading that no, there's there seem to be human beings populating hell and suffering eternal fire. Um, and this is not even to bring up the case of of Judas, which again the the broad patristic consensus is to, uh, uh, for how to take it. It is better for him to have never been born. Right, is that he is also uh, suffering eternal punishment. John Paul II, in Crossing the Threshold of Hope, kind of backpedaled a little bit on that, where he says, even when Jesus yes, says does. of Judas, you, you know the passage. Yes. Yeah, okay. And that's, and uh, and this is where I am, uh, you know, I don't, I have the utmost respect for John Paul II, I don't, I don't want uh, to sort of fight with him about that. <laughs> right. Um, but at the same time, um, my own disposition and a, a safe disposition, I think, is just a docility to the patristic uh, patrimony that mm-hmm. we have. Mm-hmm. Um, and 
I just am unwilling to just say, well, you know, let, let's maybe you know the fathers didn't have it right. Uh, I, I just, I, I that makes me anxious. Sure, sure, understandably, and uh, you know, Avery Dulles addressing this issue on the population of hell back in an essay he did with the first things in uh, 2003 mm-hmm. said many saints and doctors of the church including saint augustine and saint thomas aquinas have taken it as a revealed truth that judas was reprobated so and he mentions nero too which i had not i was unaware of but apparently yeah. some of the fathers placed nero in that uh, company in hell it is interesting though isn't it that we don't have like a list of names uh, of those in hell. We, of course, know many of those in heaven, um, but we don't have a a similar list uh, for those in hell. And I think that, because it's not the church's decision. Right. And I think, um, I don't think, we'll never get such a thing. Right. Uh, And I think for the, the simple fact is that, you know, frankly speaking, the the church doesn't care about the souls in hell. Mm-hmm. Um, those such such are wholly beyond her power and wholly beyond her concern. Um, and so, it just it becomes, uh, you know, sort of a moot point. You know, to, you know, have a, a canon of the damned or something like that. Right. It's just there's there's new purpose. Um, you know, maybe it could define you know, something more strongly than it has um, about it being populated, but uh, even there, uh, it's it becomes unclear that it that that's strictly speaking necessary because it's not clear to me that uh, I, that that would address the more fundamental error that's kind of behind this uh, appetite, as it were, or desire. For um, that all you know that, that there be no man in hell. Yeah. Well, let's talk about that because um, it, it is a popular notion, and um, I assume what feeds this um, appetite is again uh, a simple reflection on the horrors of hell, but also in our own culture an unwillingness to face the idea of any kind of eternal judgment. I think that's right. And I think it's also, uh, it, it comes back to this, I think, that there's a misunderstanding even about what justice is and it, what justice is aiming at. Um, if you have as your principal aim of justice sort of the correction of the the criminal or the one who has done wrong, um, then an eternal punishment makes no sense. Mm-hmm. But this is not the account of justice that we get from even Aristotle and then you know Thomas Aquinas, and it's not really what's at root of the Catholic tradition, where there the understanding of justice is it's a restoring of of proper order that had been violated by an unjust act. Um, and then then when you start to understand that, then, then you start to consider, well, what kind of act is a sin? And then, and then to understand that, you have to understand what, that the sin is offense against God. And well, why is that such a grave thing? Well, 
this leads us to a contemplation then of the exceeding goodness of God. Um, and once one starts considering the surpassing goodness of God uh, and and how monstrous a thing sin is, mm-hmm. uh, then hell starts to make more sense. Uh, Dr. Lendman, hold it there. We're going to take a break. We're going to continue conversation. My guest, Dr. Daniel Lendman, is Assistant Professor of Theology at Ave Maria University. Our topic is, um, well, a number of questions surrounding uh, the Church's teaching on hell. Uh, Dare we hope for a, quote, empty hell? And good afternoon. I'm Al Cresta. With me is Dr. Daniel Lendman, Assistant Professor of Theology at Ave Maria University. And uh, our discussion today, uh, initiated by Pope Francis's comments last month, uh, that uh, he was asked how he imagines hell, and he said he likes to think of hell as empty and hopes that uh, it is. Uh, he did make it clear that this was just a personal view, not a dogmatic case, and but the question of hell has been debated uh, by theologians over the years, the nature of it. Before the break, we were talking about the idea of justice uh, and that to, to think of hell simply as um, a matter of quid, a quid pro quo kind of justice, well, you get what you deserve in that sense, doesn't really quite get it. Uh, you were saying, though, Dr. Lendman, that to get a sense of the appropriateness of hell, we have to, first of all, understand the overwhelming goodness of God that is being rejected. Is Am I wrong? Reflection, maybe that's some, almost the, the backwards way to, to think of it. Go ahead, um, yeah. And what I, mean, what I mean is just God, everything that's revealed to us in the Scriptures— there's a reason for it, and it's teaching us about God and about how we're to relate to God. And so if we take as just a given that there is this reality of hell, which I think we're bound to by mm-hmm. Scripture and by the magisterial guidance we have, then well, what what's the purpose of this of this teaching? Yeah. I, I think you can say, well, there, you know, there's this inspire kind of fear or something, but the, that's that's hardly sufficient, mm-hmm. it seems to me, um, and, and especially since, you know, we don't want to dwell in that what they call servile fear, where we just are good because we fear yeah. hell. We want to, you know, not just because I dread the loss of heaven, pains of hell, but most of all because they offend thee, my God, right? Yeah. So this idea that we want to avoid sin because of love of God. Mm-hmm. And, and, um, and that, I think, then is where the real fruit of meditating upon the reality of hell comes. It's, you know, that that's such a thing that's almost unimaginably, it does seem to be unimaginably horrible for us. Yes. Why would that be proportionate? And it's like, well, it would only be proportional if the one offended is just, is infinite goodness, infinitely innocent, where whereas where any kind of offense against him is just the most monstrous of deeds. It's yeah. just an utter horror 
um, in the, on the sort of face of creation. Very, that's very well said. Um, and let me kind of flip that for a minute, because you'll hear universalists argue that surely a God of goodness and a God of love will save everyone. It's intrinsic to his character. What's wrong with that kind of thinking? Well, um, I would argue a number of things is wrong with that way of thinking. And the first is uh, that's not that's not clear that that's what's been revealed. One, <laughs> okay. um, and, and, and that's that's uh, <laughs> and there's a lot of fathers who who seem to think otherwise. Uh, and two, this this is a it's a further challenge, and really, this is where it gets very complicated because you you really run into the whole question of the problem of evil. Um, and it's but but just the short answer here, I would say it's I think it's it's more surprising that God would tolerate any sin at all than that He would allow someone to be tormented in hell for eternity. Say that again. It is more surprising that God would create an order where there is any sin at all than that there is somebody in an order where there is someone suffering in hell. Okay. Okay. The, the, the monstrosity of sin is so immeasurably worse than the punishment that would be accorded it. Very good. Um, now, let me go over to uh, uh, Hanser's on Balthazar's uh, thinking. Uh, do what do you believe he was trying to get across in that book? Hmm. I you know, I'm not sure. I, I have to say. Um, okay. I've heard a lot of takes on it. One I like. Probably, I, I really like it's, a, it's sort of the most kind of sympathetic read. I think um, it was forwarded by a. I saw this in an article in Pro Ecclesia, where um, it's really he sees this idea that um, Balthazar's position is a kind of mean, where he's in this dynamic hope, where we're moving away from uh, damnation and and toward salvation and then uh in in this context of that hope um you have uh hell is not something that you consider as a uh, with, with respect to the fate of others but it becomes a real warning a personal warning to us from christ uh this this article i think cameron surrey i think is the, the okay. author of this article so um i think that that's a good way to understand what Balthazar was up to. Um, again, I'm not, I, I don't want to be definitive like that's the reading, but it's, at least it seems to me a way to read him that's uh, very helpful um, and, and more sympathetic. Yeah. Yeah, and then there are, as you point out, there, there are different reads uh, of uh, von Balthazar uh, on this question. Um, the, the biblical material on this. Uh, certainly, you look to the statements of Jesus himself, and of course, there's the 
questions about Gehenna and um, the the kind of language that he uses to what is it metaphorical is it symbolic all this but even even just looking at the nature of the, the, the rhetoric itself it seems clear that he's pulling out all the stops I mean I'm not sure what he could have said to describe this uh, horrific uh, final reality for those who uh, are in some way rejecting the love of God. I mean, is that how you read him? That I, I think that's a, a very well put. That at, at a certain point, uh, when you read sort of the universalist arguments forwarded by maybe uh, David Bentley Hart and others, you can start to wonder what could Christ have possibly said to make it clear. Yeah. That there is a hell and <laughs> oh, the right. people. <laughs> I mean, uh, and since everything seems you can twist it in one way or another, and that's what it really seems to me that you you, you know it's like well if hell isn't uh, eternal then then the same word is used for heaven. Right? Yeah, that's so right. Heaven not eternal. Right? <laughs> that's I, I right. Know, well, we got we have we have real real questions here, and there's been a lot of good work uh, answering that. Uh, and that's, but that's, those are real challenges that, uh, and the, there's a kind of facile, facile approach to the gospel that, uh, is really found in this universalist approach. Again, that I would argue is rooted in the misunderstanding of justice and God's goodness, and as well as just this kind of misunderstanding of the scriptures. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Take us back uh, to the consensus of the fathers on this. Um, you mentioned uh, David Bentley Hart and uh, others who kind of follow in his follow him. Like to point out that we've got statements from uh, quote the fathers, which are beyond origin, uh, not just origin, um, who's not necessarily considered one of the fathers anyways, but, That's um, right. you know, but we have in early Christian theology and thinking about these things that we have some uh, impressive names that uh, might be claimed by universalists. Uh, do we have significant uh, statements by any of the fathers that would be universalist? Significant statements by the fathers that would be sort of universalist fathers. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I I think the most most uh, impressive one would be uh, Saint Gregory of Nyssa. Yeah. Okay. And that's uh, as far as I can tell, though he's following origin because uh, Saint Gregory of Nyssa is very uh, very Platonist, um, and uh, again that that kind of misunderstanding about what justice aims at, I think, is what's animating uh, Nissa's, uh, Gregory Nissa's position on this as well. Mm-hmm. Um, that being said, uh, as, as from my uh, understanding, my reading, I, I don't think there was any father who adopted a, a universalist position until Origen. Yeah. Um, and then afterwards, you know, you have... Uh, uh, Saint Augustine, most notably, and uh, and then of course the the, the fathers and the, the just the 
proclamations of the church there at uh, Constantinople and at um, Lateran that just make it clear what the what the position of the church is. Yeah, yeah. So I mean, there's not anybody who talk tries to claim that the consensus of the fathers is universalist. Simply doesn't know uh, what he's talking about. That's right. Yeah. That's right. Um, and that it's just again, there's we have to be uh, docile to the tradition that's handed down to us about these things, even when it makes us uncomfortable. You know, we're not. We can't be the ones that measure it. We have to be measured by it. Yeah. Um, and that's that's the real challenge. And I guess one of the, the key point I was trying to make a little earlier is that uh, if we allow this consideration to kind of impact us and we consider it really moves us to appreciate the goodness of God. Yeah, yeah. And I think that's what it's, that's, as I understand you, that's what it's supposed to do. That is, the, the in a sense, the pedagogical purpose of hell is to make us reflect upon the goodness of God and, and what it means to offend uh, this majesty. Um, That's right. Yeah. The all-holy one, you know, who is goodness itself and love himself. And, uh, and, the, and then the consequence of that should be then a, a desire to love him more and the desire to see him. And that's, yeah. a, that's a very beautiful thing indeed. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, you know, and there's something else here that I don't hear often brought up. And that is, there's the trauma uh, of the holy that you see in Old Testament passages where uh, the extraordinary holiness of God uh, can, if it even touches um, sinful man. I'm thinking here of Uzzah as he tries to steady the ark. Oh, um, uh, yes, yes. And he ends up dead. Um, and also in terms of the, the Blessed Mother, um, the reason for her immaculate conception, it seems to me, is that uh, the all-holy one who inhabits eternity, to take up residence within a womb of a sinful person would be to evaporate that person. <laughs> it would be uh, yeah, terrible. That's, that would be the sense. You, so you get this, again, this great insight into the, the mercy and love of God. Yeah, 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 exactly. Dr. Lenman, thank you for taking the time to be with me today. I greatly appreciate it. And Hope we can talk again in the future. Thank you so much. It was just a joy. Dr. Daniel Lenman, Assistant Professor of Theology at Ave Maria University.